I tried to contact some of my friends in Prague. Some of them were already gone, and some of them were planning to go anywhere. That is the voice of Dr. Oswald Waldeck Holzer, a refugee and survivor of the Holocaust. During and after World War II, tens of millions of people were displaced, creating the largest refugee crisis in human history. Many were displaced due to the Holocaust. Six million Jewish Europeans and millions of Roma, Poles, homosexuals, political prisoners, and others were murdered. This makes the Holocaust the largest genocide in human history. However, countless stories exist of those who fled and survived the Nazi regime. In this episode of The Refugee Report, I will be telling one such story. Dr. Oswald Holzer, also known as Valdik, was a Jewish doctor who fled Czechoslovakia during the Nazi takeover. His flight from Europe led him to numerous places, from Beijing to New York City. Dr. Holzer's incredible life has been chronicled by his daughter, Joni Sherm. After his passing in 2000, Joni Sherm has written three books about her father based on numerous letters and genealogical research. I had the opportunity to talk with Joni about her books. Throughout the series, you'll hear clips from that interview and recorded audio from Dr. Holzer himself. Before beginning this episode, we want to warn you that the following audio and descriptions may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Dr. Holzer was born in 1911 in what was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Valdek was born just before World War I, and his father, Arnest Holzer, was conscripted. He became a prisoner of war in Russia, but was later returned to his family. The end of the war led to the breakup of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the formation of a new nation, Czechoslovakia. This meant that Valdek grew up during a critical time in Czech history. Most Czechs were very, very proud and had been under, dom- you know, in, under domination of the Austrian uh, Germans for 300 years. So the makeup of what their character is like, their humor, and many other things really flow from that period of time. Valdek began to thrive within this newly formed nation. He attended medical school at Charles University, and he met countless people in Prague. He and his friends would go to the local cafe in their neighborhood and discuss the pressing issues of the day. Valdek became a beloved and charismatic member of his community. One instance that highlights his charisma is when he cleverly announced to a movie theater that he had just become a doctor. He graduated and a lot of his friends, you know, uh, went to the movie. And my father, uh, unknown to anybody, uh, arranged for something to happen. And what it was, was they all sat down. And that movie house is still active, by the way, in Prague. And when the lights were, you know, went down, then all of a sudden there was an announcement for Dr. Holzer, Dr. Holzer, you know. Um, and so my father stood up and walked and then all of a sudden people realized that he had been asked for under the name Dr. Holzer instead <laughs> of Mr. Holzer. So that was how everybody knew. And then everybody started cheering. So, I mean, it was a story that was like you could imagine at that age, you know, that's that's life as it is in total joy. However, Valdek's world completely changed during the late 1930s. The Nazi regime rose to power in Germany and quickly began to militarize. By 1938, 
Germany seized control of Austria. Around this time, Czechoslovakia began recognizing the growing threat from the neighboring Nazis. The Czechoslovak military enacted defensive measures, and there was mandatory service for men of fighting age. Valdik then joined the Czechoslovak army as a medical officer. My father joined the army, and he, um, because he was a doctor, he was an officer in the, in the Czech army then through tra- after training. And he was in um, the service uh, when many uh, important pieces of history unfolded. So you had things like uh, Kristallnacht, which was the first real show of violence by the uh, Nazis on the Jewish population. As mentioned, during his enlistment, the situation in Europe continued to deteriorate. The United Kingdom and France were undergoing a policy of appeasement to the Nazi regime in order to avoid war. This meant they allowed the Nazis to take chunks of Czechoslovakia, and there were fewer assurances of Czechoslovak sovereignty. This was exemplified by the Munich Agreement. The Sudetenland, a territory in Czechoslovakia, was to be given to the Nazis. When Mussolini suggested a four-power conference, Chamberlain seized the chance. Perhaps it was still not too late to settle the Czech question by international agreement rather than war. When I come back, I hope I may be able to say, as Hotspur says in Henry IV, out of this nettle danger, we pluck this flower safety. Germany, France and Britain came to an agreement to hand over the Sudetenland to Germany. The Czechs were not consulted. They were free to resist by themselves if they wanted to. And the peace of Europe was guaranteed by another document signed by Hitler and Chamberlain, the famous piece of paper. I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Soon after this, the Nazis invaded the entirety of Czechoslovakia. Vodek began to understand the danger of his situation. He was a Jewish soldier in Nazi-occupied land. Even if he could hide his Jewish heritage, which would have been very unlikely, he would have been forced to fight for Nazi Germany. So, Valdek planned his escape from the military. After about 10 days, I decided to go home. But how do you do that? So one day I just sat down and wrote myself an order to go to the slaughterhouse to inspect the meat. The medical officer in the Czech army is also a hygienist and veterinary or whatever. So I was responsible for the meat supply. So when I finished my order to go to the slaughterhouse and inspect the meat supply for the unit, I put all the rubber stamps on it and signed it with a non-legible name. We got in a car and started toward the gate and there were There was a German guard over there, and they stopped us. 
And they asked me in German where I was going. So I handed them my order, which was written in Czech. Well, these poor fellows didn't know what it was all about, so they asked me whether I could translate it. I said, yep. So they handed me back my letter that I wrote myself. I could have translated without looking in. So I translated in German, and they clicked their heels and said, alles in Ordnung, all is all right. And we started out of the barracks. Next, Valdek needed to make his way to his family in Prague. However, during his journey, he had some close calls. I bought a ticket to Prague, and after short waiting, I got on the train. I sat down and started reading the daily paper, more or less to cover myself. I had no luggage of any kind. The conductor came in and immediately he spotted me because of my army pants and boots. He asked me whether I had any military discharge paper. So I told him I didn't. He said, well, you have to keep on moving because there we have a Gestapo on the train. They march through the train and they ask for discharge papers. I said, well, how will I stay away from them? He said, well, they are very systematic. They start in front of the train and then they get off at the next railroad station and go back in front again. And very seldom they make it all the way to the back. So as long as you keep ahead of them as they walk on the train, you will be all right. Waldek finally reached his parents in Prague. However, it was clear that the situation was worsening for Jewish citizens in the region. So Waldek made preparations to flee his homeland. Um, particularly um, Jews weren't, you know, getting visas. They, they were being denied. And the quota was held down a lot around the world because there had been, you know, recent economic decline. And so a lot of countries didn't want to let people in. So it wasn't just that you would decide to leave. Um, at all. It was very difficult. But my father managed to um, get money from this uh, Lord's Mayor Fund uh, out of London, which were Quakers, actually, that were doing this for people. And because he had the money, he could buy a boat ticket is what he did. And he could also um, manage to show the Germans that he would have money when he got there. And Waldeck took a train from Prague to France. From there, he boarded a boat destined for Shanghai. This epic boat journey through the Suez Canal took Valdik to cities like Aden, Mumbai, Calcutta, Saigon, and Hong Kong. In Shanghai, Valdik was distanced from the wrath of the Nazis. However, he encountered a new conflict, despite being thousands of miles away. The Japanese occupation of China was underway. Although this was before Pearl Harbor and the involvement of Western countries, war raged between Chinese nationalists, Chinese communists, and the Japanese. Despite this, Valdek was significantly safer in China than in Europe. Valdek struggled to find work as a doctor in China with his Czech medical degree. He went back and forth between multiple jobs. However, he eventually joined a group of Christian missionaries serving in rural Chinese hospitals. 
This was a strenuous job that included treating and containing outbreaks of diseases in local villages. In addition, rural China was where some of the most vicious fights occurred. Chinese rebels would come to the hospital needing assistance, and Japanese soldiers would search the hospital for wounded rebel soldiers. Eventually, the missionary sent Valdek to Beijing to study and improve his Mandarin skills. Here, he met a woman named Ruth LeCur, an American missionary teaching in China. The two fell in love, and they were married within a matter of weeks. They got married in a time of war, when Valdek was displaced in another country. In fact, during their honeymoon, the two were caught in a firefight between the Chinese and the Japanese while they were on a walk. It became clear to both that the situation in China was worsening. So in 1940, Valdek went to the United States with his new wife, Ruth. The two moved around to numerous cities searching for medical work. During this time, Valdek received a plea for help from his parents in a letter. Throughout his refugee experience, Valdek received letters from his parents updating him on the worsening situation for Jews in Prague. When they finally asked him to help them leave, Dr. Holzer was desperate to find visas for them. A worker at one of the hospitals told Valdek that he had a connection to a South American embassy. Valdek paid him a vast sum of money. Unfortunately, this was a scam. And so he somehow knew one of the orderlies at the hospital who he told his story to that he was just, you know, telling him not, he wasn't asking for help. He was just telling him the story. And that man said, oh, I have friends and I, I can get a, um, a visa for you. Um, and it's from South America. He told my father what it would be. He said he would call the guy. He said he did. Then he told my father what it would be. My father paid him. And then the guy skipped down. Um, and so at that point, my father really didn't have very much money at all. So any money would have been a lot. When the United States went to war with Nazi Germany, communication between Valdek and his parents was effectively cut off. It wasn't until after the war that the fate of his parents was revealed. While working briefly in South America, Valdek received a letter from a relative. Inside, it contained a letter from his father, Arnold Holzer. He wrote it before being transported to a concentration camp. It's very straightforward in terms of a goodbye and his love of his son and everything. It's just a very, very hard letter to read. But at the same time, um, my grandfather, Arnosh Holzer, made a wish for his son, my father, that he not use his, um, his profession of curing to garner wealth, but that he help the suffering humanity. So here's a man knowing that he's probably going to his death, wishing that greater wish. It is believed that his parents, Arnost and Olga Holzer, were murdered at the Sobibor death camp. In total, 44 relatives of Dr. Oswald Holzer were killed in the Holocaust. Let that sink in for a moment. Imagine that a genocide kills nearly every grandparent, aunt, uncle, cousin, and parent in your family tree. The scale and tragedy of the situation is unfathomable. It is important to note that Dr. Oswald Holzer never published an autobiography about his life. He told his children very few details about his refugee story. It wasn't until after his passing that his youngest daughter, Joni Sherm, uncovered this whole journey. I will be explaining that extraordinary story in the next part of this series. 
Before concluding this episode, we would like to recommend an organization preserving the history of the Holocaust. This episode, it is the Holocaust Museum for Hope and Humanity. This museum is located in downtown Orlando, Florida, where Dr. Holzer officially settled in the United States. This project is in partnership with the Shoah Foundation. The link will be in the description of this episode. When donating, make sure that you dedicate your gift to Dr. Oswald Holzer. Although we do recommend this organization, it is important to do research before spending your own money. Please check out the links to Joni Sherm's books in the description. Each detail her father's incredible life. After listening to this episode, I recommend reading My Dear Boy. It goes into far more detail about Dr. Oswald Holzer's astonishing story. That concludes this episode of The Refugee Report. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at wartimeaid. Tune in next time for part two of our Dr. Holzer series. As always, thank you for listening.